Hey, what's happening, everybody? This is Doolin from Facebook here, the admin of the Facebook page that you are so fond of. Just want to take a moment and say uh, thank you for uh, following the page. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you've ever listened to this podcast before, there's been a number of podcasts that I've done over the years. And uh, I just wanted to take a moment to let everybody know this is actually the last podcast I'm going to be doing. Uh, if you actually listened to the last podcast, which uh, took place sometime back in 2016, I said I had a new job and it would keep me traveling all over the country, so I didn't have a lot of time for it, but I would come back and do podcasts from time to time. Well, as it turns out, I had an even better job offer, and it had me traveling not all over the country, but I now travel all over the world, as I have been for the past year and a half, and uh, the podcasting just kind of fell to the wayside, and uh, although I would really like to come back and do podcasts again one day. One, I don't really have time for it. And two, this show was something special for me. Um, But as we move forward into the future and I see that there's about a million and two other podcasts that offer exactly what this one offers. It's all just nerd humor and talking about comic books, movies, video games. It doesn't really have a specific focus on anything. So I'm going to take some time. I'm going to regroup. And then one of these days when I decide to come back and do podcasting again, maybe something a little bit more focused. So um, once again, just uh, that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, enjoy this last episode of Welcome to Nerdtopia. happening nerdtopia welcome back for another round of welcome to nerdtopia i am Doolin dalton joined by it's me robert <laughs> benjamin jaffe hello nerdtopia <laughs> so this is going to be kind of fun uh i thought that it would be appropriate given the state of affairs with uh, infinity war just released that uh, I-, I would sit down and discuss you know the past of not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe itself, but uh, superhero movies as a whole, where they've come from, where they're going, and where we are right now. So the past, the present, and the future, if you will. And there's really nobody better to do it than this guy sitting across from me right now, because uh, Rob and I go back, uh, geez, like almost 20 years now, and we became comic book fans during the time when it was not okay to be a comic book fan. So I think it's kind of funny, you know, it's, it's so widespread and so mainstream in the media nowadays, and you can just, you can throw a rock and find someone to talk about, uh, did you see Infinity War? Somebody, and at least three people at work are going to want to talk to you about Infinity War. But of course, you know, back in the day when we were in high school and we wanted to discuss Keaton's Batman, nobody wanted to talk about that shit with us. (laughs) Nobody. It wasn't okay back then. Well, I mean, I guess it was okay within certain circles. Right. It was just smaller circles. It was mm-hmm. like you, you had an, it was a niche. 
type thing. So you had your friends who specifically loved the nerd material and then everybody else who looked down on us. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, we were a couple of socially awkward kids too. So it it wasn't, didn't make it any easier by the fact that we didn't know how to talk to anybody. So we just kind of hung out with each other. So, um, you know, I know how I found my way into, into comic books and particularly, uh, you know, that form of media. Um, what about you, Rob? I think you were, we, I was in ninth grade when I met you, I think. So at the age of 15. Yeah, I was what, 13 when I came down to Florida. Uh, I had been living in Philadelphia, uh, for a long time. Um, so we talk, we're talking about how we got into superheroes. Yeah, just how you found your way into it. Okay. So, I mean, my first experience with superheroes was Spider-Man. Uh, when I was three years old, I was Spider-Man for Halloween in some kind of weird <laughs> knockoff Spider-Man costume, you know? Sure. Um, the, plastic, the, the vinyl costume with the plastic mask, those were always the best in right, the 80s. Right, with the yellow in the oh, costume, God. because Spider-Man had yellow in his Yeah, uh, of course. In his awesome... Wait. You would, lose, you would lose 20 pounds just walking around from house to house trick-or-treating that night because you'd sweat. That, <laughs> those things did not breathe. And as a three-year-old, it was a very necessary <laughs> thing because I was a fatty. And uh, you got you to gotta watch your weight if you're going to be spidey. So um, I think it was in uh, sixth grade that my nerdness uh, took the next level when I um, – not sixth grade, second grade, mm-hmm. I wore, I had Superman pajamas, so I wore them <laughs> underneath my clothing. Oh, gosh. And, I think uh, I did something similar now that you mention it. Yeah, so during, like, a school assembly, I ran to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, of course. Came back out, Superman, <laughs> I'm here to save us all from boringness! <laughs> and I got kind of blank stares, as I'm sure I'm getting them now. And, and for some reason, I didn't take that lesson, and I did this exact same thing in my daycare, like, a few hours later. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my early experience with, like, superheroes, was, uh, you know, trying to, like, show people, like, how cool Superman is. Look, you're, you can be a normal kid, and then now you're Superman! And they did not seem to be impressed by yeah. that idea. Uh it, it took a while to get like really into this superhero thing. Like I, I started with Marvel cards. Did you? Ever... Oh gosh, man! Yeah. Marvel Universe trading cards, dude. I had so many of those. I still do. I've still I've got many many boxes in my in my father's house right now of just oh gosh so many superhero cards. And that was yeah, were the ones that had the power ratings on the back of them. Yes. So, like, and then you would get the like um, eternity, and it was just off the chart. Yeah, it was the like Beyonder. 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or some of them were just off the charts. Like, yeah, we can't even we can't even tell you how powerful this guy is because as writers, we don't know. We're leaving it innocuous in case we need him to do something that we haven't been able to do yet. Do uh, sex machina right. for the win. <laughs> <laughs> Infinite power. Um, <laughs> pretty much. So I think, like, really my first superhero movie, besides maybe seeing Superman on TV as a kid, like, as a t- on TV as a kid, was seeing Batman in the theater. 1989. Uh, did you did you get to see Batman in the theater? Uh, I'm trying to. I'm a, I would have been about eight years old when it came out. I I don't remember if I saw it in theaters. I remember like the big one. I remember was like the following year, and I'll I'll classify this as a superhero movie. Mm. Was when uh, Ninja Turtles came out. Yeah, and it, that was in 1990. And like, and at that eight point in my life, I was just into all things Ninja Turtles, like the cartoon. 
I'd say the comics, but I, I honestly, I was too young for the comics. I, I didn't see the comics until yeah. I was an adult. But they made kitty versions of the comics, and I, and right. I read those and stuff. So the cartoon, and then when the movie came out, it was like these characters that I've only seen like on the comic strip and on the cartoon screen, like coming off of the screen, like big bold. And then Raphael looks down at the side and says. Damn! And I was, as an eight-year-old kid, nine years old, you know what that does to you? You're like, oh, shit. I just learned a new word. (laughs) I mean, I knew the word already. I was not allowed to say that word. Uh But I was like, he's using a bad word. Ooh, this is an edgy superhero. <laughs> so uh, so that was kind of like my first foray into like superheroes and movies was probably with the Ninja Turtles. And then I think like the following year when uh, Batman came out on VHS, I think I, I bought it and I watched it like many, many times. Right. Um, and that was that was kind of cool. And up until that, like my only other experience with like superheroes on the screen was probably like, you know, the, the 1979 Superman with Christopher Reeve, which, you know, is a classic and still... Some most of it still holds up to this day. I mean, it's a it's a very fine movie for what it is. Uh, it, I mean, Superman doesn't have any like villains per se. Like Lex Luthor is a villain, but it, it's more about uh, you know uh, him just doing right in the world and like his sense of moral compass. Right. Uh, Batman was pretty different. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very much about like revenge and yeah. yeah I mean, I'll... I mean, it was it was different and it was kind of cool to see like yeah. a darker superhero on the screen for that time. Right. Uh, I I still say to this day that Burton doesn't understand Batman, and that's fine. He like, doesn't. He and that's okay because you know he did give us he did give us something that we didn't have before. Yes, and that, that changed things. Like, I mean, I think I think it was after Batman came out that we started. Uh, I wanted to see more superheroes on the big screen, but Mm -hmm. it just didn't turn out that way. Yeah. Like all through the nineties, we had lots of cartoons. We have the uh, X-Men cartoon, Batman, the animated series, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the uh, Spider-Man cartoon. But what we're not getting are these big screen adaptations of it. And I did not for the life of me understand why, why can't we have superhero movies? Oh, cause I mean, at that point in time, it was still, no matter like the Burton's Batman or whatever, in that darker take, it was still kitty mm. stuff at that point. Like it was still, corny. Yeah, it was really corny. I mean, like you go back and watch, go back and watch like Batman. Hell, go back and watch Batman Returns, uh, 1992's Batman Returns. It's so campy and so it doesn't hold up. And everybody ate it up and we loved it, but it really doesn't hold up. But the point I'm getting around to here is the fact that. Those movies were just not taken seriously at that point in time. They were mm-hmm. kiddie movies. Um, so any movie studio that picked up uh, any type of movie property really either advanced on it very carefully mm-hmm. or they just went the other extreme with it and said, all right, this is for kids. Let's just make it for kids. Right. Hence Steel. Uh, which, Steel. Right. Yeah. So that was more like for young teens. Kind they didn't of movie. care about the comp. They they weren't trying to adapt the comic book. They said, okay, we see a guy in an iron suit and he's what's black. selling right now. Yeah. Shaquille O'Neal. Boom. We're done. <laughs> we don't need to put any more thought into this. We can just sell it. And uh, that's fresh off the success of Shaq Fu. Right. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that. We basically just saw that reflected all through the '90s. We didn't. We they were not giving us superhero films that were genuinely for us, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that reinforced our feeling that we were kind of isolated. Like, like yeah, we've got superheroes and nobody else does. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't I, I don't know about you, but at that time I was reading the comic books a lot. Did mm-hmm. you were you getting into the comics? I was. You know what I was doing is I was reading the comic books, but not in so much as I had like subscriptions. It was basically like mm-hmm. on a Saturday I would be like, "Hey, mom, dad, take me down to the comic book shop." Like, fine, we're running errands. We'll stop you in. Here's twenty bucks. You can get some comic books, whatever. And I would just kind of pick whatever off the shelf looked appealing to me, mm-hmm. with no idea with what was happening in the story or who these characters were. I would just kind of look at it and I would. In- I would enjoy the the art, and I would you know kind of read through the stories and like oh that's interesting, and then just not really continue. And then next week I would just buy a whole new set of comic books and right. stuff. But I did get to know some of the characters through that, and um you know, and as we went uh, further through, uh, it's kind of what drew me in with X Men and things like that. But I didn't want to cut cut you off your point because I think you were going somewhere with that. Well, I mean that is kind of my point. So like what you're talking about like. When you were buying comic books, you were getting like this the classic superhero comic books, yeah. and there was the serial thing that was Spider-Man, happening. Spider Man, Punisher issue bleeds into the next issue. Mm-hmm. All of the like all of the superheroes tie into this major superhero world, mm-hmm. and I mean, I was very into that. But I think it was probably in the mid '90s when I began my transition into more adult comics. Mm-hmm. Like that's when I first uh, read Preacher. And oh, then yeah. I, and so that was that's a. One would argue you were probably too young to be reading Preacher in the mid '90s, sir. But that's okay. I was 16. I could handle oh, okay. reading about Hairstar's erection. Oh, okay. It was okay. <laughs> it, so there was that element of like what what made superhero comics so fun, which is that like all the stories tie in together. Right. But it was also starting to deal with adult issues, mm-hmm. and that piqued my interest and then i started reading things like batman the dark knight returns mm-hmm. and earth x things that had something to say it wasn't just it wasn't just a good guy versus bad guy fantasy anymore like they were making statements as they went forward with these stories and the idea of good guy bad guy started to slip for me a little bit so sure. not, well i mean yeah. and that's that's the sign of a good writer if you can yeah. blur that line between hero and villain and make you kind of think and second guess those villains motivations for a minute like well Maybe he's not so evil. Mm-hmm. He just has a different take on things. Well, that's that's one way of looking at because I I could say that, but when I look at the Dark Knight Returns, it's not so much that I empathize with the Joker. It's more that I critique Batman. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not looking at Batman in Batman: The Dark Knight Returns. Like, wow, he's so great. I end up thinking, wow, he's very selfish, and he's not really looking at the whole world around him, and he's making a lot of choices. That make him happy, but right. it aren't really about the greater good. Right. And that's an interesting turn. Like, like Well, you know, yeah. the most important thing about Batman, especially if you're trying to empathize with him and get on his level, is to have your mother be named Martha. Yeah, it helps a lot, right? <laughs> It'll stop me from killing you. <laughs> if, you, if, you if, we, if our moms had the same name, we're cool. <laughs> Why did you say that name? Why did you say that <laughs> So... That, that, we are not so different, you and I. <laughs> we, our mothers are both named Martha. Yeah. So I walked out of the 90s expecting that I'm never going to really get superhero movies. Right. I and mean, we just weren't going to see these, uh, these more adult stories on screen. If they made one, it was going to be for kids. Right. So, I, like, initially I'm told, like, I talked with my stepfather back in the 90s about the idea of, like, maybe having an Avengers movie or an X-Men movie. And mm-hmm. he tells me that will never happen. Never happen. And his reason is, 
uh, there's too many characters. There's too many people vying for who's going to be the main character, and no actor is going to let themselves just become like a side character. I was going to say, I'll go pull 12 people off the street right now and be like, you want to be in the Fantastic Four? you got to share the spotlight with three other people. Yes! Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a different world now. Like, he makes this argument about Spider-Man and Iron Man. Like, they won't make those movies because they have to wear the mask the whole time, and no actor is going to want to hide their face away from the audience. I, I mean, it made sense at the time. Maybe that's that old logic but by the time we get to the 2000s mm-hmm. everything gets upended it becomes like a whole new ball game like what do we get we get x-men in 2000 right i think it was uh yeah i think it was 2000 or whatever and to me that was huge i remember like wake i had plans with my friends to go see it because you know as i had mentioned earlier i was watching i grew up watching x-men in the 90s mm-hmm that cartoon series. And actually that was a really well-written series for the most part. If you go back and watch it, like some of the scripts hold up, some of it's campy and stuff, but some of those scripts like really hold up. And, uh, you know, and I, uh, that's what really kind of pulled me into the X-Men comic books. And I actually did read uncanny X-Men for a good, like six month stretch there, just like solid. Um, and so I remember waking up, I think I was just out of high school. I think when that movie came out, and uh, waking up, calling my friends, X Men, it's X Men. Today's the day. Today's the day. We're gonna get see X Men, X Men. And then so like me and this uh, group of uh, losers got on our comic book T shirts and went down there, and we were the only fucking people there. <laughs> because I mean, just you know, I mean, Twentieth Century Fox really kind of took a risk with that property. And you know what? If you, it really was not the best movie. No, it's not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the first but time that we get that something we got remotely it. like that. Exactly. And we had, I mean, and it's funny, and I remember like in the 90s sitting in, in my room with friends, probably you at some point going, you know, if they ever made an X-Men movie, you know who should play Professor X? Patrick Stewart, dude, dude, he's bald, man. He looks just like. And then there, there, there. I was like, it's like they, they heard my prayers. Yeah, they're like, what's the perfect casting? Oh, that guy, great. We're yeah, just give him who the nerds want. It's yeah. fine. And then you know, and then uh, Hugh Jackman, who uh, did surprisingly <laughs> did surprisingly well for the role. Um, you know, you had a group of relative unknowns for that mm-hmm. for that picture, but it was um, it was entertaining. It was it was entertaining and it gave us what we wanted for the first time, and I guess it did relatively well at the box office because that's what kind of opened it up. They're like, "Well, this movie did okay. Let's uh, let's start experiment. We'll, we'll put in for a sequel and we'll start experimenting with some other properties." Right. Uh, it's fascinating because Marvel was going through bankruptcy at that yeah, time. Yeah, they were too. selling off. I think didn't they? They sold. Uh, what did they sell the movie rights to Sony? I was a meager sum uh, for for the character of Spider Man. To make yeah, movies, it's the only one they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, well, because that's like that's the flagship character of Marvel right. is Spider Man. Um, yeah, but it was uh, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a meager sum, and basically selling the rights to Sony was the only thing that kept the comic books afloat at that time. So you know, you can thank uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man for saving Marvel, I guess. I mean, and, and well, I think the X Men helped a lot too. You know, mm-hmm. I I don't disagree that like, yeah. I think the move films are what saved them uh, and maybe destroy them too. Uh, so, okay. So like I was saying, I came off of like when coming into the X-Men, I had already begun this transition into looking for more literary type stories. Mm-hmm. Right. So X-Men 
sort of pays to that, like plays to that. What do you get? You get like it opens with a Holocaust scene. Yeah, that's a pretty bold move. Yeah, opening, for a kids movie. Yeah, yeah, opening your superhero movie for nerds with a Holocaust scene. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 bold. Um, and you could argue that that follows through with X Men Two, and then just immediately drops off for X Men Three. They're just none of that. They had no idea what they were doing for the story. They're like, "Oh, we got to make another one of these. Well, let's just put in what the kids want to see. I guess it doesn't really matter how they get there. Yeah, it's fine. It's really Singer's fault because he left. Like, if Singer had stayed with X Men and not gone off to make Superman Returns, we probably have a decent conclusion. So now we have a crappy X Three and a crappy Superman movie. Thanks, Brian Singer. Yeah. <laughs> You, you ruined it for everyone. But, uh, but you know, but the, the point I was getting around about to there is yeah. with, with that, they really started to, to branch out and explore other properties. So then, of course, in 2002, mm-hmm. you have Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. And you know what? For all its flaws and stuff, it was, it was, it was a fun movie. It, was. it, wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't Shakespeare, but it was, it was fun. It was fun to watch it on screen. I remember seeing it on opening night mm-hmm. and think that was a great movie. That was awesome. I really had fun in the movie theater. And that's really all that should have been was just, just dumb fun, you know? Sure. Okay, so should have been. Yeah, I, I, I think Spider-Man is a difficult character to turn into like a literary type scenario. He's not really made for you to overthink, you know, even like stuff like the death of Gwen Stacy. That's a powerful story, but it doesn't mean much outside of Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. Like, like it's not a scenario where you're going to personally run into at some point in your life where you have to save somebody and then you accidentally kill them. <laughs> that's not. That's not every normal... Tuesday, man. Oh, I I gotta stay more in touch with you, man. <laughs> your life is going crazy. So I I wouldn't expect Spider Man to have like a Holocaust scene in it, but um, you know, the first Spider Man didn't do much for me. I liked it okay. Uh, I thought Spider Man Two, like X Men Two, like up their game considerably. Actually, uh, I still maintain to this day that Spider Man Two is still one of my favorite superhero movies. It's fantastic. Yeah. It, it doesn't say okay. So there is a literary aspect to Spider Man Two. It might not be like a presented as a very deep story, but it is about like um, how when we don't fulfill who we're supposed to be if we're not being who we're supposed to be we shut ourselves down Mm -hmm. as a result of it like we aren't able to be the best that we can Mm. be that's an important lesson for kids like Mm. you've got to embrace who you are yep this is true true um yeah and then you know we won't we won't get into spider-man 3 that was kind of where what is it with what is it with three parters and then then just having a first good two first acts and then just totally shitting on it in the third well i think it's really about the studio system trying to make bank uh it, it is the common problem because uh, you can see it with uh, X-Men 3 and Spider-Man 3, but you could also probably see that with Batman Forever, uh, Superman 3, yeah, uh, Godfather 3 even to some degree. Um, there's something that happens where studios, I think, intervene and they're just like, well, we've got to make it bigger and more powerful and explosions and like it's got to be the ultimate version of the thing mm-hmm. as opposed to letting a director or writer look at the th- – look at the story as is and figuring out a suitable conclusion. Yeah. Um, I mean, we should probably talk about the dark Knight rises too, but I feel like we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get, get there. there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, so that was in, in the early, uh, the early two thousands. And mm-hmm. it's, I think, you know, Spider-Man ran throughout the, like the first half of the two thousands, but then but by that point, 
they're trying other things, and you know these other movie studios that kind of, that own these properties are Fox. are kind of Fox and uh, you know and Warner Brothers as well. Mm-hmm. They're branching out and they're trying. So you know the success of Spider Man, uh, you know Warner Brothers is like, well maybe it's time we bring back our flagship character, and they 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 tried a thing with uh, to bring back Superman, and uh, they tried a thing. Superman Returns. They yeah. tried, you know, they tried a thing, yeah. and that was in the 2006 Superman Returns. Right. But also by that point, they, you know, uh, they had also brought back Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, it's been enough time. We're going to give Batman a reboot, and uh, for for something I felt kind of worked for that time for 2005 when Batman Begins came out. And then they were also using, uh, they were also going other directions too, like Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. Ghost Rider, Daredevil, Punisher, yeah, Punisher, Daredevil. I mean, and they were just kind of, they were just kind of throwing everything to the wall to see what stuck right. not a lot was really working at that point right um but why do you think that is why do you think that they weren't working i think it was just at that point in time it was just comic books needed to find their defining place on screen you know what works on the page doesn't work on screen when you need something like a three-act structure you know it's just like mm. taking comic books and putting them on into a movie is basically like taking a television show and adapting it for the screen yeah you know you need a solid three-act structure but prior to that it was just something that would just give you a little bit of the story every week a little bit of the story every week that had all of these um richly woven subplots and characters and stuff like that. Well, we don't have time for all that shit now. Right. We got to we got to get Punisher up there on screen, kill his family, let him f- discover his origins and let him kill the bad guy in the end, and we need to do that within under 2 hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? So a lot gets cut out and I think a lot gets lost in translation and just trying to get basically the big appeal is you know for, since we're talking about the Punisher is just to see the guy up there, and he's got the skull on his chest, and he's got the machine gun, and he's shooting the bad guys. Like that's, and then, and then you see the comic books page brought to life on screen, and that's the appeal. That's that's all you're really getting out of those movies. Just real, like I, a slight derivation here. Like the Punisher series, do you think that's more successful than the Punisher film? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember reading a little bit of. Um, Punisher when I was a kid and that th- those were not for kids no they're not <laughs> they're they're definitely not for kids I just remember reading it be like maybe like 11 12 years old going oh man mm-hmm. that's intense <laughs> he literally just carved that guy's face in prison <laughs> jeez <laughs> yeah I mean that they, that was the Punisher comics man yeah uh, ultra violent, ultra like like no yeah. real moral redeeming value. Just no, pure just, revenge story. Yeah, like, pure revenge. Like I, I, my family was murdered, so I'm just gonna go ahead and murder everybody. Vengeance else. for all. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he, he's that one thing that Batman didn't want to become. Right. <laughs> so uh, let's. I I think I feel like um, I agree with what you're saying about like these Marvel movies and these superhero movies coming out in the early aughts that they're not really trying to do anything besides make a buck and sell like a a product. Um, I feel like maybe the thing is, is that they weren't so concerned with character. No. You know, and that's what made Batman Begins such a revelation because our experience with Batman up until that point mm-hmm. was rather thin. Like, you can say what you... Like, I like Michael Keaton's Batman. I think they're very enjoyable films. But Batman's not like a character in those films. He's like a force of nature. You know, like, to this day, I, I still say my favorite portrayal of Batman out of any of the movies, any medium... Um, well, maybe not so with the comics, but more like mainstream media mm-hmm. is probably still the animated series in the sure. '90s. Like they they made good 
original stories. I mean, some of them were based on comics. Some of them were original. But uh, ultimately, you know, that was kind of my experience with Batman. That's where I fell in love with Batman was when the 90s uh, rolled around and they gave us the animated series. Yeah, I I mean, that was some of the best Batman stories ever told. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was exciting. And despite the fact that it was a cartoon, he felt like a fully fleshed out character. Yeah. Like this is somebody who's experienced things and now is making choices because of those experiences mm-hmm. as opposed to this kind of nebbish, oh, you know, I'm a billionaire and I'm sad because my parents are dead. And <laughs> So I feel like Christopher Nolan took that to a whole other level. You know, he wasn't afraid to throw out parts of Batman's origin that mm-hmm. didn't work for him and to change things to suit his story. You know, the, like Bruce Wayne going to kill Joe Chill. Yeah. in the Batman Begins film, mm-hmm. was kind of shocking for me. I was, I was genuinely surprised. I did not think that we would see him going to kill this guy. And then he doesn't get to do it, and that's an interesting choice, yeah. that he's robbed of his vengeance. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I felt like Nolan was uh, trying to take a classic literary character type art model mm-hmm. and build on that to a cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Um and you contrast that with what Singer was doing with uh, Superman, and you can see why Superman Returns doesn't work. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's he's not really building a new character in Superman Returns. He's just giving us It's just retreat. Christopher Reeve Part 2, you know? Right? Um, so I don't know that he was wrong about like his assessment of like the, like the world has changed, and that means Superman might have to change. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you have to do that by grounding it in a character that we give a shit about. Yeah, exactly. And they didn't. They didn't manage to do that with Superman Returns. But I felt like they did do it with with Batman pretty yeah. successfully in the mid in the mid two thousands. Excuse me. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that kind of compelled the next wave of superhero films that that was mm-hmm. to come. Because I mean, yeah, that gave birth to the Dark Knight and mm-hmm. Iron Man, which came out the same year within like a month of each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, Iron Man is. It's the start of something else, um, and we'll, we'll get to that here. We're like right on the cusp, or like we're 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 getting there to what I what I kind of consider to be, and I think a lot of people would agree would be the golden age of superhero movies, which mm. is where we are now because it's never going to be this good again. <laughs> That's a, I I think of uh, the golden age as you know Batman nineteen sixty six Superman nineteen oh of course yeah absolutely yeah sure I oh you're you're serious I mean no seriously like, I thought I, you were I thought you were joking <laughs> no I do seriously feel that way like I I don't think that they're great I think that like golden age isn't necessarily about it being the best oh like, okay. Like, Golden Age is typically referred to as, you know, the dawn of the thing. Mm-hmm. So when I think of the Golden Age, I think of it as, like, literally the dawn. Like, like even Batman World War II films. Like, Batman and Robin fighting oh. Nazis. Oh, God. Well, I mean, I guess if it's good enough for Cap, it's good enough for Bruce. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, this, is to me, is the modern age. Like, I think that Iron Man and Dark Knight represent the, the transition from the Silver Age of superhero films, mm-hmm. which is Batman and the 90s and stuff, to... The modern age, which is, okay, we can literally do anything now, but we're not quite there yet. We're almost there. We're almost to literally do anything. Mm -hmm. Because Iron Man was still being shot on film. Yeah. And it was still dealing with practical effects. He was literally wearing an Iron Man suit in much of that film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal, right? Because that's no longer the case. They're not wearing giant robot suits anymore. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but then, like, uh, that just kind of all gave way and it rolled around to uh you know 2008's iron man right 
And I, you know, when when they first announced they were doing Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr., I, I just said, I was like, this is an interesting choice. Not exactly like a, uh, I mean, yeah, he had his own comic book and things, but uh, I mean, he was always kind of a supporting player in the Avengers. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I was like, this is an interesting choice. Of course, I'll go see it because I, I you know, I went to go see it, and uh, I remember sitting in the theaters ten years ago watching it, saying, "Wow, this is good." Mm-hmm. They've really, I mean, the, the character is written brilliantly i mean and he's uh he has this uh story arc where it's like he's he's not he's not righteous he's not just he's not uh you know he's not a a dudley do right he's not running in to do the right thing as a matter of fact he's kind of almost a villain towards Mm -hmm. the beginning of this movie he just doesn't give a shit and then uh you know firsthand he begins to see the consequences of his actions and when you see his his growth and we see how he plans on changing. Um, and so we see him as he becomes Iron Man. He leaves behind Tony Stark and becomes a hero. And watching that story, I said, all right, they gave us a superhero movie that was grounded in the character, which was the most important thing, because it made it a good movie. Um so I remember like, wow, this is this is really cool. Good good thing. Like this was this was awesome. And then um I was always I was told you gotta sit you gotta sit through the credits, man. You gotta sit through the credits. They give you something. Well, ha- well what is it? No, you, you you just gotta see it. You just gotta see it. So we I sat through the credits and then right at the end of it, I mean spoiler alert, uh Samuel L. Jackson walks on the screen bearing the likeness of the uh, Ultimates universe, Nick Fury, he's got the eye patch, he's got the black leather trench coat, he's all furied out, and he tells us there's other superheroes in the world. And then you think, oh shit, they're going to do something different here. This is kind of cool, because this now opened up the door for the serial universe. As you said, it's a shared universe, and I knew that we knew that there was other movies coming out, like in the same, I think Thor, no, no, Hulk came out like a few months later. But you're like, oh, wait, maybe this one's going to tie in with this one. And then a few months later, you went to go see Hulk, and at the end, there's Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark, and that confirms, okay, these movies all exist within the same universe. And when I think about the amount of time and planning that must have taken to set that up to where they are now over the past 10 years, it's daunting. But they've been doing it with the comics for years. Right. I mean, they have to. Like, the, the Marvel bullpen is yeah. – is- requires a lot of editorial oversight and there's let's be honest though like comic books are not great about keeping their continuity between the many books time travel (laughs) retcon it they have to like ultimately like like every year or so they're like let's have a massive superhero event and then they um have to deal with like whatever consequence the fallout yeah um so here's an interesting thing about iron man Mm -hmm. uh you can't really say this about most of the marvel films but that film really dealt with terrorism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's you know it's weird. And for ten years ago, that was that was kind of more of a that I don't know. I, I guess times have changed. Not that terrorism isn't still out there, but um, I guess you know with it, it goes with the times. You know, I think you know W was still in office. It was the and, last year of W. Yeah, it was the last year of W. Uh, you know, we had been you know we were only seven years past from nine eleven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'd been uh, kind of torturing people for a while yeah yeah and like like, keep in mind like stark finds out at the beginning of the film that like his weapons Mm -hmm. have been given 
to, to terrorists. terrorists. And yeah, and so, he didn't care. He didn't care at the beginning. No, he didn't care about that because it's all about that bottom line. And I wonder if that's the thing that made Iron Man and also maybe the Dark Knight like step up because you're dealing with these real world issues. Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden we we're looking at these characters who are bigger than life, mm-hmm. but they're dealing with the world that we have to live in. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, where things are unstable, where are where the good guys are selling weapons to the bad guys, mm-hmm. where the good guys are breaking laws and doing mass surveillance, right. in order to help us. Yeah, um, it makes it, it it complicates things, and I wonder if that adds a lot to the appeal of why like superheroes were able to get out of like this kind of fantastic four daredevil rut, mm-hmm. you know, cause those movies weren't trying to be anything more than like an excuse to watch people fight. No, of course. You know, and I'm not saying that Iron Man is that much deeper. I just feel like by giving it the choice by not giving it the choice, by literally framing it in this world that we share, mm-hmm. that we live in, mm-hmm. we are immediately more invested because it has this grounding. I'm not saying they're realistic. I'm just saying that there is that element that we can recognize in ourselves, in our right. in our lives, mm-hmm. that takes it to that next level. And I think maybe that's why you know Iron Man two and Incredible Hulk and Thor don't work as well. Yeah, there's not really much to those. Like Iron Man two has something, but it's way too much of a cluster. I, I you know I feel like if those movies had any purpose whatsoever mm. aside from giving us the characters, it was just the fact that they were standalone movies. But still part of a whole, and it was important if you want to stack it up and have those major events, mm-hmm. you have to you have to make us give a shit about those characters. Right. So maybe they weren't the best movies, but you at least got to know those characters. You got to know who Thor was. You got to see his arc, where he came from. I still think Captain America is a great movie. I like the first half of Captain America quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I feel like it, it, it kind of devolves a little bit as it progresses, but uh, there is some very strong stuff in the first Captain America. Mm-hmm. I don't feel there's a lot of strong th- things in Thor. I, I agree with you that it's great that these movies exist and they exist as part of the same cinematic universe, uh, which is something that we've never had before. And I don't know what, what, what that bodes for the future, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, I see lots of film uh, film franchises trying to be born right now yeah um but marvel did successfully do that like regardless of how i feel about the thor film and the incredible hulk uh those movies are successful in that they build this Mm -hmm. cinematic universe so like my feeling about the individual movie is much less relevant than my feeling about the overall universe sure which is kind of shifting the game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's totally shifting the game. You know, you, you the way you look at it is uh, all like I said they're standalone but part of a whole each one of those movies is a block in the bigger in the building basically. Mm-hmm. You know, they've all they've all worked towards something. Uh you know, so and we saw a culmination of that in 2012 right. when uh, you know, two two very important things happened in 2012 and I really feel like it was uh 2012 was like a big kind of out with the old in with the new because not only was 2012 the Avengers, the first movie that kind of uh, that kicked off everything. Like, I mean, I guess it was already kicked off by that point. But by that mean, I mean, like, you get the to first, see... It's the first real payoff. It's the first real payoff for the last four years of movies. But it was also the conclusion of Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Right. So it was really... Uh, like it was, as I said earlier, it was kind of out with the old and with the new, and they they retired that version of Batman, you know, never to return again, mm-hmm. and we're being pushed into this larger world. You know, it's uh, the the Batman movies were a little bit more 
modest, I guess you could say. Maybe modest. Yeah, modest uh, is a way of putting it. I, I mean, concerned with the real world in a way that Marvel movies uh, don't have to be. They allude to the real world in the Marvel films. They're like, okay, so the, like the terrorism thing that we talk about in Iron Man. But that's not the point of Iron Man. Yeah. You know, the point is really always going to be Tony Stark. Winter Soldier, like the, the point of Winter Soldier isn't that the government's spying on you. It's, it's Cap's relationship with Bucky. And those are good stories, you know, and they ground us in this real world. But unlike the Nolan films, mm-hmm. where it's really all about like these ideas, mm-hmm. like the Joker is an idea. And his idea is that like we're we're just so disconnected in this society that it like we're we're kidding ourselves about mm-hmm. our relevance. Sure. And, um, I I feel like the Dark Knight Rises um, is an unfortunate conclusion to that trilogy because there are a lot of ideas in that film, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know that they actually ever congeal the way that I was just gonna to. say like they had uh, they had some some good points they made, but all the. The, the plots that ran those points mm-hmm. did, could, didn't quite connect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially the like the Occupy Wall Street riff that he has going through mm-hmm. the film. Like in that early part, they're talking about the, the poor eating the rich, which is fascinating. Like, mm-hmm. okay, that's cool. This idea of Batman not really being able to be Batman anymore. Bruce Wayne as a broken man wanting to be Batman mm-hmm. is fascinating. And mm-hmm. he pays for it. He yeah. pays for it quite dearly. Mm-hmm. But... He doesn't earn it back in the end. Like, like the, the, the cost of pretending that he could still be what he was is clear. Mm-hmm. But it's undermined by the fact that he just magically comes back. Like, you can't, <laughs> you, can't, you can't just take this really powerful story. Oh, no, I fixed the autopilot. It's fine. Hey, how about that man? <laughs> I'm sorry. That man that basically raised you, and you're just going to let him think you were dead? You're a dick, dude. Uh-huh. You are a dick. Dick. How about his back gets broken and he gets it fixed by a little bit of like advanced prison chiropractic? <laughs> like, whoop, you're good now. No more, no not, more not the, spine for you. Not to mention his knee was already messed up from the beginning of the movie and he just puts a mechanical brace on it. He's yeah, fine. and he can scale walls. No, he can problem. do what no other person in that prison can do. Right. It's absurd and it takes away something. It takes away something, I think, to have the ending of The Dark Knight Rises also just be between. Bane's goons and the cops. Like, what are you actually saying? <laughs> it was, about it was gang. I, did, I just saw that. I'm just like, dude, were you just going for gangs of New York here on this last scene with was, like with like Batman as the general on one side and Bane as the general on the other? Because that's all I saw there. If you were really going to do gangs of New York, you needed to have three different groups or four different groups all mm. fighting each other at once. That Ooh. where were the people? Where were the people of Gotham hiding in their? Hiding in their buildings. I don't know. They they would have probably... I mean, it was months. They probably would have been dead, let's be honest. Probably. But, like, since they weren't, mm-hmm. I feel like the thing to do would have been to have them rise up. Like, okay, sure, start with the cops. Start with the cops. And then have the cops lose. Yeah. Have the cops... Like, you got to show that the people have a will. Mm-hmm. And when you say that the people don't have a will, when you say that the people are just going to let whatever fate throws their way that might be true but that's certainly uninspiring yeah you're not going to get people to be like yeah we can do better yeah we cannot blow each other up we have Mm. these options and without that little bit of hope i feel like nolan started shifting into actually snyder territory Mm. Mm -hmm. like like maybe maybe the truth is is that we need you know billionaires to come save us right 
Well, we'll we'll get to Snyder here in a minute because yeah. we're because we're we're in 2012 now. We're 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 going to start moving ahead to to Snyder here in just a moment. So to recap, we've moved like so the Nolan verse very self-contained, mm-hmm. three solid solid films that all only exist for each other. Right. Versus the Marvel films where now we're getting the serial thing. Right. And it, yeah, now Nolan's done. Yeah, so now Nolan is done. He's going to move on to greener pastures and do other things. He does make other movies, I guess, from time to time. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> one or two. So, uh, so you know, we, we bid farewell to Batman at the same time Avengers comes out. And by this point, we're just like, so, wow, this is awesome. This is amazing. I mean, I remember in uh, being in the movie theater, I, was, I think I was living in North Carolina at the time. And I, actually, you can go back. Um, from uh, back six years and hear the podcast that I did regarding the Avengers where I just gushed over it for mm-hmm. an hour and a half straight where we, I just because I was just so blown away to see that movie. Um, so that's where Marvel had the bar set now. And so at this point, I guess, you know, Warner Brothers, which owns the rights to DC and they just concluded with Batman, they're like, oh, we need to get in on this action. Let's do the exact same let's, thing. Let's do the exact same thing. And I said, yeah. Why not? Why not? Do it. You guys have great character. I've been a Superman fan. I'm still a Superman fan to this day, despite the fact that I don't see him portrayed on any medium, really, in the way that I want him to portrayed. But that's neither here nor there. So they introduce uh, the very following year coming out on the Tales of Avengers is Man of Steel, 2013's Man of Steel, directed by Zack Snyder. And I was like, oh, well, you know, Zack Snyder did Watchmen. I know you take issue with Watchmen. I I enjoyed it. I I understand he missed the point of of the stories, but I still thought it was a decent movie. 300, I love that stylized violence, the special effects. I was like, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Show me what you got, Zack Snyder. And I went in and I saw it. And it was one of those things where uh, I I enjoyed it, but it just felt off. It made me angry. Uh, I walked I, out of the theater angry at yeah. that film. Um, not ju- not just because it's off. Uh, it, it's what you were talking about with Watchmen. Like, okay, he visually captures Superman very well. Yes. Very well. Maybe the best visual Superman I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the ideology. Oh, missed. Uh, by a mile. what what – I get that you think that Superman's goofy and corny, and maybe he is, but that's what he's supposed to be in this world. Yes. We need beacons of hope. We yeah. need to believe that there's uh, people who are capable of doing good because that's the right thing to do, and that we're not going to always take the easy, simple solution. Mm-hmm. Now, we could talk about the Zod murder in Superman 2, right? Like like that. But Man I don't- of Steel. Oh, you mean versus yeah, Man of Steel versus Superman too? Right. Sure. Like, okay, so yeah, Superman's killed before. But... I just, I just feel like all they really did in that is just take away the illusion that Superman's not a killer because he really kind of always has been. Yeah, but the way that he kills is different. It's not. It's like okay, he had some creative solutions, right? He put them into the Phantom Zone in the in in, in Superman too, right? Like he got that mirror and he sent them off into space or whatever. Yeah, but he straight up threw Zod down a chasm. Yeah. He straight up murdered General Zod and Superman too, just like he did in Man of Steel. Maybe not just like he did. He snapped his neck in Man of Steel, but he was remorseful. Yeah, he was sorry he did it. Sort of thing, like <laughs> I rather he thought about like how he was going to do it instead of just snapping his neck. Well, at that point, it was either Zod or the innocent people standing there. He could have flown into space. And I will and I will say this though: you should not have written it 
so that Superman was backed into that corner. Right. It's, that's that's the thing. It was like, well, he had no other choice. I'm like, yeah, but the writers had a choice. You get you are you are in control of this world. It's not like you're watching this and you don't have control over it. You wrote it so that he would have to snap Zod's neck. Why? Right. <laughs> and is it part of the story the whole way through? No, there's nothing else in that film about Superman feeling a moral quandary over taking a life. It's not the point at all of Superman Man of Steel. The question is is whether or not he should save people or right. not. So the real que- like if you really wanted to tie that in thematically the question is how do i save these people without just killing this guy that's the moral quandary that's the question right and snyder absolutely fails that question Mm -hmm. he goes for the simplest solution as he typically does Mm -hmm. um which is that he believes that violence is ultimately a solution to the world's problems and historically that might be accurate (laughs) but ideologically um, give us give us our heroes you know what i mean it's it, it it that's a, that's the point. That's the thing, though, is you know, yeah, that's how it works in the real world. Yeah. But the point of these movies is they need to give us something to aspire to be, something to look to. Right. You know what I mean? Like you know, it's go. And now we're going jumping all the way back to the beginning. We're talking about we were kids and we were growing up and we were, you know, watching these superheroes on the screen. Why? Because they were powerful. And we wanted to be them. They're gods. They're gods, essentially. Who doesn't want to be a god? You know, still to this to this day, I would. You know, we all we all talk about like, oh, you know, what superhero power would you have? You know, we mm-hmm. all we all want it. Teleportation. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, but if we want to be that person, give us something. Give us a quality within ourselves. You know, heroes aren't heroes because of the power they wield, but because they give ceaselessly and selflessly to others and they overcome their problems in a way that we can understand and empathize with and possibly take for ourselves right right mm-hmm. iron man 3 is all about ptsd yeah <laughs> that, film, that film is i know up. i have that problem <laughs> i mean so many people do yes yeah, like, a lot of people do though like 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 you go to how many soldiers do we have coming home from afghanistan and iraq that's at this point who are dealing with seeing images in their head sure you know iron man Three might be a goofy film, but he's it is very much about him overcoming his uh, fear. Yeah, his, like like utterly like feeling uh, overwhelmed by uh, the forces that are bigger. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't relate to that? Look at Captain America: Winter Soldier again. You know, like that film. He could have killed Bucky. No. He could have. He could like. Why not yeah. just kill him? Yeah. Why not just kill that guy? He's clearly a terrorist. He's clearly mm-hmm. a threat to the state. But no, he goes out of his way. Be like, no, I know you. You're a human being. You're a good person. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's not a good person. But he decides that he, he decides is a good that he's, person. Yeah. He decides that for himself, and he fights to make that guy come back to the good to the to the light or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's maybe not realistic in a world in our world, but that's certainly something that we can aspire to mm-hmm. and should aspire to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, and that's where they miss the mark, I feel like, with, with the DC movies. You know, but you know, certain superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Catalog have that, as you were saying, with Captain America. But they just, they, I, I still haven't seen a single character in the DC Cinematic Catalog that's, that's nailed it. Because with those characters, with those movies, Woman? maybe Wonder Woman is probably about the closest as they get. Um, and I, I mean, I, and I still don't feel like they nailed it because I feel like any one of those movies really is just about taking it back to the nineties. All, all we're just going to give you the characters and the costumes that you like on screen fighting people and blowing shit up. Mm-hmm. And it's not about 
the people. It's not about the characters. And that's where I feel like DC has missed the mark as opposed to Marvel. Yeah, I I don't know. I I definitely would agree for the most part because I abhor Superman, uh, Batman v Superman. I abhor Man of Steel, Suicide Squad. I I haven't done this in a long time, but when I was watching it in the theater, I was yelling at the theater like I was actually <laughs> the one the nerd in the back. Oh, fuck you! Yeah, fuck you, Jared Leto! I'm like, dude, it's not my fault. They made a terrible movie. They 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 did. So, and on, and you know what is sad? As sad as it is to say, I prefer Suicide Squad like ten times more over Batman v Superman, mm-hmm. which, by the way, didn't come out until three years after Man of Steel. They gave us, they made us wait for. Th- okay, you're gonna make us wait for three years? Do something else. Like give us a better story. Like what? What did they even try to do with that story? So it's like DC missed the point of what Marvel was doing, which was that they were using all these individual movies to set up the big movie. Yeah. Whereas Batman v Superman kind of just like, let's get there. Let's get to the big one already. And then let's get to now the Justice League. Mm -hmm. DC doesn't have patience. No, they don't. And they don't value character. Well, they've already got plans for... uh... Justice League 2. And I'm like, why? 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 Did they why? Did, did it make as much money as the Avengers made in its opening weekend? Not no. even a little bit. Like, so no, they should probably move on. I, uh, I think DC, when I heard that DC wanted to do like an individual Joker movie, I was immediately like, no. But then I, think, I think about that. And I wonder if maybe that is what they need to do. Mm-hmm. They need to just let go of this idea of the expanded DC universe. Just let it go. It's and just done. just focus on making good movies. Yeah. Just make individual smart films that work. Because what Marvel did... Green Lantern. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, that did not work. Uh, no. Yeah, well, Very Marvel, few of their movies have. I don't know if what Marvel has done can be replicated properly. Like, I'm getting the impression that it's not really going to work outside of this Marvel universe. Like, like, like... The, well, you look at Universal Studios is trying to do it too right. with their dark universe. It's not working. And I saw the Mummy, and I was like, "This is terrible." Mm-hmm. They don't even follow their own. They don't even follow the rules that they set forth, and everything is innocuous and weird and doesn't even make sense. And then they're like halfway through, like, "Oh, I'm Russell Crowe. I'm Doctor Jekyll. Okay, you become Mister." And then they have like little tot nods to like Dracula and stuff. I'm like, okay, I see what you guys are doing. You're building universe, but this is bad and it's really sad because you could argue that universal studios with their monster movies like way back they had the first shared universe mm-hmm. they really did like they had they had the concept they were unconcerned yeah. about there being a shared universe they That's weren't true. they weren't wor- like it felt like they were all part of the same thing but they weren't worried about it right the way that uh i don't think Mar- i think marvel has eased up on that actually mm-hmm. like they're not as concerned about making sure that every single film ties into everything and they're more let's play with the playground that we have mm-hmm. like Ragnarok okay yeah that definitely ties into the Avengers and Thor 2 and all all sorts of things mm-hmm. but that film very much can exist on its own too yeah. it's just a good time Guardians of the Galaxy does not require you to watch any other Marvel films mm-hmm. in order to get Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Civil War, yeah, you kind of do. Ant Man, yeah. not at all. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, do you really need to know no. Iron Man to know? No. Ant-Man? I mean, they they mention Iron Man in passing, and that's yeah. fine. You don't need to know it. It's fine. Like I said, it stands alone, but it's part of a whole. So I feel like maybe, like DC proved that you can't just easily replicate it. Universal's proving that same thing. Um. 
maybe the idea of trying to like create a massive cinematic universe is a good idea for Marvel, mm-hmm. and maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe we really shouldn't be trying to keep doing that over and over again because honestly. I worry that maybe it's degrading these films to some degree. Yeah, I love it's bringing the you're bringing the value of the property down, man. Like they're not going to be able to do another Infinity War. Like we'll get like the follow up to Infinity War very soon Mm -hmm. uh, in a year. But are they really going to be able to do that every five six years? No, no, absolutely not. Another huge superhero. It's not going to keep. I mean, like it's. I mean, I felt like that really kind of almost hit crescendo when we saw Civil War two years ago, Mm -hmm. and then like just topped out with Infinity War, and then I think you know we'll finally see 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 it coming back down in about a year when we see Avengers Endgame, and I'm okay with that. Like Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm okay with going back to a happy medium and bringing it back and making it about the characters again. You know what? Because, like I said, you just you can't sustain. You can't keep it up there. Right. The bar cannot stay. And so, and I can guarantee all these fanboys, you know, uh, people like you and me, but not you and me because we're we're better than that. <laughs> oh, we are. No, we're totally better. But what's going to happen is like they're going to after Avengers four, they're going to put out some you know Spider Man two or something Black like Panther that. 2. Black Panther two, and everyone's going to say. These movies suck. No, you are just expecting the bar to be where it just was. Scale it back down. Appreciate it on a character level. You gotta, you got, you, you know, it's it's highs and lows. You can't just keep it up there. So, and that's what kind of concerns me about the future of of these movies is that people are gonna get bored now after it's over. You know what I mean? After ten years, people are gonna start to walk away. So it's a it's a hat trick to be able to kill off all of your characters or half of your characters. Absolutely. You can't keep doing that. I mean and when you know it's you know it's temporary. Right. Because we know that these movies have scheduled sequels that are coming out. The moment they come back, that feeling that we had mm-hmm. that we'll never be we can never replicate that again. Yeah. We'll never be able to watch these characters die on screen again and feel that feeling well, that we felt when we watched Spider Man die. I mean, to be honest with you, like I was watching them all die. I kind of figured that was going to happen anyways. Mm-hmm. But even even watching them die, I I just I I'm like, well, spoilers by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, to sorry. This. If you're listening to this, we figured that you've probably watched everything we've watched and yeah. more. Yeah. So. But um, no. But but watching all of these characters die, like I I just even then I knew I'm like, well, this is not. This is not permanent. This is right. just for the next year. Yeah, if they had taken out War Machine and the Falcon and yeah. left Black Panther and Spider-Man alive and maybe taken out Iron Man sure. and Captain America, then you'd be like, holy cow, they really went for I it. I mean, honestly, I thought the other way was – I thought it was going to be uh, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers were going to be gone because they're pretty much reaching the end of their contract. But I guess they've got – they've each got one more in them. And yeah, then I think they're going to die. And then those characters retire after that. Yeah, well, one of them is probably going to be dead and – and then we'll see what I'm the okay other. with it. Yeah, I don't mind. I, I mean, but it, I, I guess. So I don't think Infinity War really works as a movie per se. If it, like the, like it works, it's very enjoyable. But like as like a beginning, middle, end, here is a story. I don't know. Yeah. Like like and like, does it need to? Marvel Cinematic Universe has given us this opportunity to watch serialized film. Right? Yes. So we mm-hmm. get to see this culmination film. We know who these characters are. We don't need to be reintroduced to Thor and Iron Man and Captain America. We got sure. enough. We yeah. just throw us into it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's true 
for this as like an experience, but as watching a movie, I don't know that we'll be able to go back and watch Infinity War and feel like we're getting like a full experience. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to watch that film. Maybe somebody will, but I I think it'd be difficult to watch that film and walk away from it as like, this is a self-contained story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's just clearly not. And I wonder if that loses something. Right. Well, that's possible, but you know, like I, like I, I was, like I was getting to, you know, Marvel has films planned to, through twenty twenty five. So you know, we'll see. Maybe after twenty twenty five, they decide to hang up Marvel Studios, or maybe they keep going with it with Disney acquiring the rock, the the rights from Fox. You know, it's uh, sky's the limit. Yeah. You know, they keep going with it. We could see, uh, maybe we could see Secret War in two thousand twenty five. You know, you just don't know. Well, yeah, I don't think we'll ever see an end to it. I just don't know that. Like I, I, I think that now the norm is going to be cartoon movies, and mm-hmm. that's what I think of when I think of like like the modern action film is just CGI. Yeah. Um. So there's really no limit. Uh. It, the only reason that they would ever stop is budget reasons, and um, like they're just not making the money that they used to. And here's the fact, though: films are not getting as many t- people going to the films as they used to. True. Like, while the box office continues to grow exponentially, that's mm-hmm. only because ticket prices are going up. They have to because we, it's yeah. We're I mean we're it's we're losing to that to that medium to that uh, so uh, that market of you know streaming and you know people mm-hmm. don't want to. Leave their houses. They don't want to pay anymore. And, you know, it just, it kind of makes me sad because I feel like, you know, an end of a very long era. Because, like, going to the movies together, and I mean, you remember, you went to go see Avengers, as as did I. I mean, you're sitting in a room full of people sharing the experience with you. Mm -hmm. And we're losing that. We are. Um, So, I I signed up for MoviePass. Mm-hmm. Uh, this summer, and I was very excited because I was like, I'm going to go see Infinity War as many times as I damn well please. Mm-hmm. And now they've changed it so that you can only do it once. Um, uh... You get one time per movie, which is kind of a drag. But that model, this model of like a movie theater subscription, I think is probably what they're going to have to shift to because I don't see the ticket model being a sustainable thing in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, people just don't want to like know that they're going to pay $15 for a ticket to go see a movie because it's just not worth it anymore. Yeah. Um, but if you can buy like a pass, if you can just go to the movie, it, it, I think this ties into that serial thing too. Mm-hmm. Like People don't want to pay for one thing anymore. They want the whole experience. They want to see down the line. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to go to a movies, I want to be know that I'm going to go see many movies. Um, not just one movie. Yeah. Um, otherwise, what will happen is uh, what Spielberg and Lucas foretold, which is <laughs> that uh, we're going to not have movies. Yeah. We're going to have like maybe a big movie a year. Hmm. Be kind of a sad thing to uh, to say. I guess you know the only thing we have to do is just wait and see. Um, you know, I, but I feel like the demand for movies is always going to be there. It's just going to depend on the medium at which you get them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean we're seeing. It, I mean, we're seeing it now, like Netflix original movies. You know, it's or you know only on Amazon Prime or only on Hulu. These movies, um, you know, and and I'm seeing it's like these major Hollywood stars are doing these Netflix original movies. And I'm like, why? Why did you got? Oh, okay, because that's where the medium's going. You guys are just getting ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we're always we're, there's always going to be money in movies. Yeah. It's just going to be a matter of. Uh, how they're made and what medium they're made for. Right. So 
I think that's been interesting. So all during this time, there have been a lot of comic book films that came out that aren't like superhero films, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a history of violence, mm -hmm. Ghost World, The Road to Perdition, sure. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Mm -hmm. We're getting like, I, and I bring this up because I think what we're seeing now with television is. Um, the other end of the superhero franchises, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, um, Marvel is able to create this whole cinematic universe. The TV shows don't really tie into that, but they create their own sort of cinematic universe, mm -hmm. right? Where the movies count for them, but the TV shows don't count. Yeah. The other way around. Yeah, exactly. DC, with the Netflix stuff. Yeah, DC has built their own little cinematic universe. And then mm -hmm. you, you get these other things like uh, Legion on FX, mm -hmm. uh, Walking Dead on AMC, Preacher yeah. on AMC. Um, I only watched season one. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting to me um, because they're still trying. Uh, I don't think that Preacher really works. Mm -hmm. I think it half works. Um, I think Walking Dead worked for a little while. Used it does, to. Yeah, it doesn't really work anymore. Um, Legion first season worked very well. Mm -hmm. I don't know how season two will work. Mm -hmm. um, walking, uh, not Walking Dead. Uh, Watchmen is going to be coming out. As yeah, a I don't. TV I don't know how I feel about that. Well, it it kind of ties into this idea of adaptation, and that's sort of where I think that we can kind of conclude because mm -hmm. the Marvel universe isn't the comic books, right? The mm -hmm. X-Men movies aren't the X-Men comic books. Christopher Nolan got very far from what made Batman Batman and still managed to hold on to who he is. Mm -hmm. um, so what will make it okay for ad adapting in the future? Like, I, I remember when the Fantastic Four came out, there was a lot of, like, guff about, um, what's his name? Michael Black B. Jordan. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, no, the new Fantastic Four, the 2014. Yeah. The no, one that I did a podcast just ripping it apart. But, right. Yeah, that's fine. So, like, Michael B. Jordan took over the role of Johnny Storm, and I was actually very happy about that. I was okay. like, cool, let's make, like, like, who cares what skin color these guys are? Let's see what we can do. And I was very much wanting to fight for that film, and then ultimately it just... Did not work. Thanks, Trank. Yeah, it's not his fault. It's it's Fox. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, maybe it was his fault, too. Uh, it was kind of his fault because when he couldn't get the rights to do Chronicle 2, he basically just turned Chronicle 2 into Fantastic Four. Is that so? D yes. How do, okay, explain to me what that means. So, okay. So, Chronicle... Um, if Did you see Chronicle no, at all? Okay. No, no. So, Chronicle was about a bunch of teens that get these powers and they're learning to, you know, do it. And then he proposed... Uh, Chronicle 2 as it to be kind of like a coming of age story mm. kind of thing and if you go back and watch that movie it's it's just basically he just took the the um, structure for those characters and just laid Fantastic Four on top of it ah. so he basically just adapted the screenplay for Fantastic Four which is why it was just felt so weird and disjointed it didn't really feel like the Fantastic Four at all because the source material was not Fantastic Four they were his characters I see. which is kind of selfish <laughs> did you ever read Ultimate Fantastic Four? I did one or two uh, issues, yeah. Like, the initial run of that series, I thought, is what he was going to go for, which is putting these kids in, like, a genius camp, and then they like they find this alternate dimension with the help of Victor Von Doom or whatever his mm -hmm. name is in that, and they all end up going to that alternate reality and coming back the other side. Mm -hmm. So I thought, like, I'm watching the trailers for it. I'm like, oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't sound like it worked. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it, like... So you you think it's just because he's basically making them chronicle characters? Yeah, making they're they're because it wasn't the movie he wanted to do. I see. So he just they say well we can't do that, but we'll give you Fantastic Four. Okay, I'll just 
cross that off, and yeah, that's Ben Grin now. That's not the other guy that I right. did. <laughs> so what, like, what, what do we need to see for adaptations to work now? Is really my question. Like, okay, so Watchmen is coming out. Uh, Zack Snyder, despite the fact that I don't think he got the ideology of the film, actually very much adhered to the literal plot of mm-hmm. the story. Whereas uh, what Damon Lindelof will be doing, I think it's Damon Lindelof. I might be getting that. The guy who did the leftovers is doing the Watchmen series. Oh, and, okay. The David Lindelof was one of the uh, co-creators on Lost, I think. So that's correct. Yeah. yeah, he he was like the the uh, showrunner for a while. Yeah. Once J.J. Abrams stepped aside, it was Lindelof's mm-hmm. show. Um, he's he's already said he's not doing a direct adaptation. Like he's going to take the Watchmen's foundation and mm-hmm. he's going to make it work for a television show. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I guess my final question, really, like, my, how far can these superhero stories go from their source material, and we still care? Like, we've talked, like, we've really been talking about this the whole time. Like, okay, you can take Superman, you can put him into a depressing world, but if you have Superman start killing people, that might be a sure. little too much. Well, I think it's, I think it's, it's two things that are important to make it a successful adaptation, and I think it's, yeah. it's partially what I'm saying and partially what you're saying. On my end, make me care about these characters. Right. Make them three-dimensional. Give me, get, make the villain solid. Like make me care, make me care about the villain. So make he's not just care. some guy coming down from outer space saying, "I'm here to take over your planet." Mo ha 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 ha, evil plan. Mm-hmm. You know, because th- th- while it's fun to watch them slug it out, like th- if there's nothing behind it, then there's no substance to those fights. If th- if we're going to have conflict, there needs to be meaning behind the conflict. And then on the other side, what you said, cr- make the ideology right. Yeah. Do it correctly. Make it. If you start by making one point. Stay with it. Don't just go off in this direction because you feel like this would look cool on screen, but completely abandon the point you made in the first act. Right. You know what I mean? And that's and I think that's where a lot of writers and producer movie producers fall short is giving us characters we care about and sticking with the point of the story. Right. Having a point to a story is really the bare minimum that a movie and television show and any. But yet, how many do. of them have no point? Right. Well. Because they're serving the god of money, mm-hmm. you know, and the god of like explosions, Yay, and... capitalism. <laughs> you know, and like, look, I'm not, I, I may be a dirty socialist, but I'm not going to like say that every film should adhere to my philosophical point of view. You sure. don't need to. I, I, I prefer to have alternatives presented to me. Mm-hmm. But you better know what you're talking about, and you better ha- like back it up by having your characters' choices reflect that ideology in, in your film. I just, and I think ultimately, the comic book fans and the people who re- grew up reading these properties are smarter than the producers and writers give us credit for. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that's why you have fanboys that are so pissed off and they get bitchy because like some of the, a lot of these things are I mean, we we pay our money, but it's still it's an insult to our intelligence. And I feel like that's why you get people that are so angry about movies. Not that not that getting angry over movies is cool. Like I mean, if you're if you're sitting there blogging about how pissed off you are over the movie, like, you know, go do something else. However, live your I life. I understand yeah, live your life because it's just at the end of the day it's just a story. But I understand why because you feel insulted. You feel like the writers didn't give you enough thought to be like oh we'll just throw some special effects on the screen they're stupid they won't care no we're not stupid and we do care right i i mean 
I don't think that audience members in general really think that much about the ideology as they're watching it. Yeah. It's really more about what you what you're doing after you've watched the movie. How does that film stay with you? Like the reason that people don't give a shit about Thor Dark World I gave a shit about it. It was fun. <laughs> really? I, I thought it was a fun movie. And, you know, it's it's not it's not great. It's not Shakespeare. So what is like what's it about? <laughs> the through prophecy of Ragnarok. Shut up, Rob. That's what I'm saying. Like, like you, you want to chew on the thing afterward. Like, like people, but not everything has to be. No, some things are just bubble gum, and you chew it, and you spit it out, and you're done. That's what Ragnarok was to me. Oh, Ragnarok. I think Ragnarok is bubble gum, but it's. I would say that is it, that what you're talking about, or no, are you talking about, about Thor Two? Dark World. Oh my gosh, I couldn't. Yeah, Dark World. No. Dark World does. <laughs> no, have we're on different pages there. Ragnarok. I think while it's kind of goofy it does kind of have something to it it's 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 a, it's replaying with norse mythology to start with the idea of ragnarok on its own the idea that things need to fall apart in order to continue on mm-hmm. that's a that's a ideology sure that's a there's meaning to that absolutely i mean it's goofy fun but they they said what they needed to like the film starts with him preventing ragnarok right yeah. and mm-hmm. it ends with ragnarok him. needing to happen that's meaning. Yes. That's building meaning into a story. So the whole thing can be goofy as hell, yeah. but that doesn't mean that there's not a point to it. And that's something to chew on afterwards. Mm-hmm. That's something to think about. Like, I mean, you might not. Yeah. <laughs> but you you may also be like, yeah, no. Like, at, at the end of the day, Thor really, like, in order mm-hmm. to win, he needed to let everything fall apart. Yep. But, you know, ultimately, going back to what we said, that's, you know, the two big things that I would like to see from comic book adaptations moving forward is just substance and ideology, I guess. Substance and character, yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant by substance. Yeah, okay, so ideology and character. Like, Mm -hmm. what is your point? What are you trying to do with your film? Are you just trying to make a buck? We can tell. Yeah, exactly. But that's just these two guys' opinions. Who are we? We're just another couple of comic book nerds, just like you guys. Yeah, you know, but uh, I I feel like a lot of people feel the way we feel. I think so. I think people are hungry for meaning. Well, I think that's. uh, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up there, man. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, uh, I I I started uh, podcasting like six years ago, and I've done on and off. And I started doing this one back in 2014, and I did it on and off. Um, But ultimately, you know, if 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 you listened to it at all, if you enjoyed it, I appreciate it. I'm not saying that I uh, am I'm done podcasting forever. Maybe when I'm off uh, when I'm off ships and I'm not out at sea and I have more time to do it, maybe I'll come back and I'll I'll do something that's a little bit more focused. Hmm. But uh and, until now I think that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for Welcome to Nertopia. And uh Rob, thanks so much for ha- sitting in on me with me, man. This was like just like hanging out like we were in high school again because this is pretty much all we did in high school was have these conversations. We just didn't record it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you are now privy to our nerdiest of thoughts. <laughs> for Enjoy. Welcome to Nertopia, I'm Dylan Dalton. I'm Robert Jaffe. Thanks for turning out with me, guys. Have a good night. <laughs>